I'm not going to front. I like to I like to see art in the local church that you don't have to try to act like you like. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That that was that you know what I'm saying, you know how you just bless them children, you know. That wasn't a bless them children ministry. That was a real deal God glorifying people who are actually gifted at it doing ministry in the local church. And so that's what it's all about is seeing people who use their gifts that are not just um, using their gifts any place else. I mean, using our, we're supposed to use our gifts from the church, but it's beautiful to see God using people in the local church, using their gifts to the honor the glory of the living God. So let's give God another big up, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and um, pray and dive in. Lord Jesus, um, you are the center of our joy. Um, like the song says, all this good and perfect comes from you. And so, Lord God, um, we pray today, as usual, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. We're back in Jonah. Brother Kurt did an excellent job last week, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to see God using cats like that. Um, I don't know if y'all know this, but a hundred, about $130 million that exists out here in the U.S. is counterfeit money. $130 million. Statistics say that the average that the average person has had counterfeit dollars unknowingly given to them. Um, And what's interesting about that is it says one or two of every 10,000 is really counterfeit bills, but they're talking about the fact that counterfeit bills uh, put a bad dent on things, so to speak. And so they said that one of the things that was beautiful about the dollar bill, I didn't even notice. They said the uh, authentic dollar bill has in it Linen and cotton. I didn't know that. It's 25% linen, 75% cotton. And they said one of the ways that you know a fake dollar bill is because of the substance that it's made of. You know, you may get a dollar bill and it doesn't have that, 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 um, that, that fabric feel to it. If, if it doesn't have that fabric feel to it, then, then, it's not, then it's not a real dollar bill. But they talk about how the Colombian cats, cats from Colombia, have created a way to almost as an art to create a counterfeit dollar bill. And, and I believe that in, even in Christianity, there are a lot of things that we experience in Christianity that's counterfeit. Um, as real as it may look, um, as, as powerful as it may, may, may look, it, it may not be authentic and it may not be real. And I want to talk about a challenging subject that I believe is right here crazy in our text today. I want to talk about counterfeit repentance. Um, I I ran across it in a a Puritan. Um, 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 That's where I actually got the title from. I was reading Thomas Watson, uh, his book on the doctrine of repentance, and I was just rocked by the idea of counterfeit repentance. And then I got to Jonah chapter 2, and I was blown away by many of the similarities, and I was blown away in Jonah chapter 2 of his counterfeit repentance. 
And so I just want to make some observations, point us to the gospel, point us to Jesus. But I, but I want to read his prayer. Let's start at verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you in, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. This is, a, this is an interesting passage, and it's an interesting text, because remember we're going through introspection, and we're asking God to, to help us to look at us, and instead of looking at others, you know, we are known in Christianity for pointing fingers at others, and known at being, um, being uh, having a clue about what's going on in somebody else's life, but really not having a clue of what's going on in our own lives and our own need for the gospel and our own need for depth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me? And so there's a great importance for us to take some time to learn the secret and the grace of looking at ourselves instead of pointing the fingers. And so we saw in chapter 1 how your man Jonah was, out of his bitterness, he rejected all of God's means of grace. He rejected God's means of grace. It's not just his running, but he was bitter was the reason why he ran. He was bitter with the Ninevites, and we saw his attitude towards him. Then we saw in the latter part of the chapter um, where the, the people who should have been hearing from the prophet became the prophet, and the prophet became the audience. And so today we see that he attempted to get rid of his life. It's crazy how he attempted to get rid of his life in this passage. And as he tried to get rid of his life, you see him getting swaddled up. I, that, that rocks me. That, that I, I wouldn't imagine being thrown into a storm-tossed sea. I have several phobias. I have a phobia of heights, and I have a phobia of deep water. Now, you got to understand, I remember our first, our, my first time going on a speedboat. And I didn't know that on the speedboat, it can tell you how deep the water was. So I'm thinking, you know, it's about 10, 12, you know, like pool depth. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, we just, you know, if, I, if, if you know, the speedboat kick off too much and I fly off the joint, you know what I'm saying, I can tread water a little bit. You know, because I'm the type, if something touch me in the water, you know what I'm saying, if something whisk past me, I don't care 
if I don't know what it, I don't care what it, I will walk on water without a miraculous work of the spirit. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so I, I'm, I'm that type of dude. So, so you got to understand, I'm reading this passage with phobias all out. You know what I'm saying? I, cause I got a lot of phobias. And so man, they in the water and I said, he said, yeah, we're about at 50. I said, oh, 50 feet. Okay. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, okay. And I start praying inside, trying to be cool. I'm the only black guy on the boat. You know what I'm saying? So everybody else cool, they used to it. They putting on this stuff to go water skiing. You talking about, you going water skiing, brother? I was like, man, I'm not going water skiing. <laughs> and they getting in these rubber suits. It's blazing hot outside. And I'm on the joint. You know, I got my little, my, you know how we do, wife beater with some, with some shorts on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bam, I'm on the boat, and I'm just looking around, scoping with shades on. I said, that's about all you're going to get out of me on this trip. Then he said, all right, we at, we at, we at 100. I said, 100 what? Depth. 200. 300. All right, we in, the, we in the cleaner. I said, 300. They said, you can just go swimming. We'll be right back. So this is what scared me about the thing. <laughs> See, this is what scared me. Is they go water skiing. So the guy gets into the water, and the boat takes off. And you know, as it takes off, he comes up in the water. But if he goes too fast, he lets go, Right? So he's in the water. So see, y'all got to understand how a, pho- a person with a phobia thing. See, they, the boat got to circle around to come back and get you. So I don't, I don't like the fact that the boats create waves while you're in the water. I don't like that, right? I, I don't like that. I don't like, like, <laughs> I don't like that they left me. For, like, even that they're, st- like, I can throw a rock. I just don't like that. Then they come back around. Now, you, I got to understand, at that point, you can't hear anything. Because there's nothing close enough for sound to really bounce off. So see, I would be losing my mind. You know what I'm saying? And so I said, just take me back to the boat, fam. You know what I'm saying? Just take me back. So we went back to the houseboat and cats going swimming in 300 feet deep water. And I was just like, God bless y'all. I had my feet on the side with my socks off holding my wife's hand, you know, just kicking in the water because we weren't going to do that. And so you got to understand, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you how I feel about this passage already. So, And so Jonah... It's a storm going on, and he get cast to throw him in the water. I'd have been wigging out. But it's interesting, to make it even worse, your worst nightmare happens to you. Your worst nightmare. Something big enough to open its mouth has opened its mouth and engulfed you, and now you're in its stomach. And so we see here, I would see it as a great fear, but I had to switch and not eisegete, but do exegesis. And I had to begin to look at God's work in Jonah's life here as a great act of grace. A great act of grace. The text says in verse 17, some believe this is verse, should be verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish. Remember our general point for this book is God exposes our hearts. But here, the point is that God exposes his faithfulness to us. God exposes his faithfulness to us. The word here for appoint means to assign. It means to assign. It points to God's sovereignty and his Power to use anything passing by to get our attention. And it says here that God assigned a fish, and this fish that was assigned 
um, was a use to get Jonah back on the track of ministry. But the point of it was to get Jonah to a point of repentance. Say repentance. This week we're going to talk about counterfeit. The next time we're going to talk about true repentance. It's, it's crazy in this passage that in our lives, God will use anything in our life to show us his faithfulness. And sometimes we will see things that God allows to happen to us that's different, difficult for us as an act of faithlessness versus an act of faithfulness. And so, and so I believe here that God is doing a great work of grace in the life of Jonah. And it says, and a great fish uh, came to swallow Jonah. And it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll come back to that. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. This is funny. Because now, all this time, he hasn't prayed. But it takes a certain type of circumstance just to get Jonah to open his mouth. Have you ever been so frustrated? Have you ever been so hurt? Have you ever been so in a place where you've hit a wall where God had to bring a unique circumstance your way just to get you to open your mouth? And the text says that, 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 that Jonah prayed. We saw on the ship that they asked Jonah to pray, and he skipped the subject and started spitting theology. And he used theology as a scapegoat for prayer. And so we saw in the first part of the passage that in response to the word coming from the Lord, instead of praying back to God in light of the word from the Lord, he ran from the Lord. And so in Jonah's prayer, it's interesting. The text expresses this is the first time actually in the entire book that Jonah has prayed. Listen, God is so gracious, this shows, that he doesn't cut off his communication with Jonah. Not only that, God doesn't use words but circumstances to take Jonah. And what's interesting is even when we don't communicate with God, he will create circumstances to communicate with us. But what's interesting about this I also see is it is better to seek him on the front end versus having to be forced to seek him on the back end. You know, Jonah had to be forced to seek the Lord. And I hope and pray that that is, a, that is an assignment in our lives that we have to be put in that type of predicament. So God did not even abandon Jonah in the midst of all of his bitterness, in the midst of all of his unrighteous anger, in the midst of all of his unforgiveness, in the, in the midst of his disregard for his word, in the midst of his disregard for his glory, and in, his, in the midst of his disregard towards God's heart for the lost. Now let's get into his prayer. And I'm going to give you characteristics of what it means to have a counterfeit repentance. Counterfeit repentance shows itself up in several ways. And there's so many ways, it's infinite ways we could chop it up in this text about. But there's some key ways that Jonah does it that I think is very applicable to each one of us at Epiphany Fellowship. Religiosity versus spirituality. Religiosity versus spirituality. You got to understand, look at verse, look at, look at right under that in verse 2, it says, saying, this is what Jonah prayed. He said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, 
and you heard my voice. Well, what's interesting about this in the passage is this is a normal introduction. If you read a lot of the Psalms, these are words that cats would utilize as a form to open up their prayer. I cried to the Lord. He heard me in my distress. And you'll see later on, he'll talk, talk about God's holy temple. And then he'll talk about the fact that salvation belongs to God. And so as we go through his prayer, you're going to see the craziness of his religiosity. He's extremely religious, but lacks the depth of real heart change that, that, that lays itself out in spirituality. So one, 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 one guy talked about the fact, one commentator said, Jonah had all the right words, but the wrong heart. And it's possible for us to gather information, to grab information, and really have a heart disconnection from the information that we're espousing. And that's one of the things that, that, that we're always thinking about around here because we, love, because we want to talk about Scripture. We want to dive into Scripture. But we don't want to utilize it as a form of religiosity versus spirituality. Because religiosity means you have the form of godliness. But, but, but spirituality means you've been formed in godliness. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference. Um, 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 religiosity says you've been informed about godliness. But spirituality says you've been transformed by God's godliness. And so it doesn't matter... If you have all the right words put together, it doesn't matter. And I like the way Mark Driscoll talks about it in the Vintage Church, where he talks about religious repentance as a false form of repentance. He says, religious repentance is an attempt to keep God happy or get, to God, get God to bless you. It is going through a ritual of confession, which Jonah will do in this passage, but only to manipulate God to like us. Not to work change in us. It is feeling sorry for getting caught. In sin or feeling sorry for the consequences of sin, but not feeling sorry about the sin itself as a violation against God so severe that Jesus had to die for it. This may be worse, of, this is the worst form of all false repentance. Religious repentance seeks in some way to pay God back by feeling bad and wallowing in shame, guilt, and condemnation. It is void of gospel truth that Jesus has taken our shame and guilt and condemnation so that we are no longer under that condemnation. And you'll see in this passage, because Jonah asked them to throw him off, he tries to pay for his own sin. Throw me off and this will end it all. I'll, I'll deal with my sin. I'll, be I'll continue to be depressed. I'll continue to be frustrated because I'm not going to worry about, the, and then he's talking about later, about giving sacrifices. How are you going to give sacrifices and you're allowing yourself to die? You're not going to give sacrifices, fam. And it says, through the gospel we receive forgiveness, but in religious repentance we grossly seek to earn it by attempting to punish ourselves. Often by denying ourselves the pleasure of the gifts of God. This is exactly what Jonah is trying to do. And so we have to be careful in our repentance that we self-inflict pain upon ourselves. That's called masochism. Masochism is a person that try, there's, a, there's a tribe in South America and in Asia that beat themselves as a form of pointing back um, to the crucifixion. 
um, so that they can experience the pain of Christ, which is impossible. But they try to lay that out and pay for their own pain. Colossians chapter 2 talks about that. If you're wallowing in shame today, if you're wallowing in guilt about your sin today, and you're, like we talked about last week, a false understanding of total depravity that focuses you on you without looking at the holiness of God is self-shame and false repentance. Because false repentance and religious repentance keeps you in the same place without a desire to actually change. It's a book that I'm going through now that I love that we're going to eventually go through in small groups. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And, and he, he has a statement, which I believe this goes under this idea of religiosity versus spirituality. And Scazzaro says, he's, he calls it the principle of using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. Now check, now, now, now check, now check out what he says. He says, it's when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore areas in my life God wants me to change. Number one, when I do God's work to satisfy me and not him. In other words, you're like, God, I know I'm doing a good job right now, blowing people away with your glory, you know, in my life. But, but, you know, I'm really enjoying the fact that, you know, I'm serving you, but it's really for me that I'm serving you, not for you that I'm serving you. He says, when my prayers are really about God doing my will, not me surrendering my will to his. False repentance. He says, when I hide behind God talk, deflecting the spotlight on my inner cracks and becoming defensive about my failures. False repentance. When I apply biblical truth selectively when it suits my purposes, but avoid situations that would require me to make significant life changes. And so religious repentance Always, and you got to be careful, especially if you grew up in the church, because people who grew up in the church are the hardest to convince that they're not saved. Because people that grew up in the church, you know, uh, uh, you ever trust Christ as your Lord? Oh, baby, I, let me tell you, I grew up in the church. Listen, I was born on the front pew while the preacher was preaching. That's how, that's how saved I am. And then they begin to give you a laundry list of their resume within the church. Begin to lay out this, I did this, and I'm this, and I'm that, and lay this out. But, but all of it points to religious activity, not relational depth. And, and, and so what happens is, is we get to a point where, where we, we, we try to use religion as a fog for our need to face our issues. And so God is calling us to not become that way. That all of this good doctrine that we learn, all of this good information that we learn, I pray that it won't be just to argue with someone, just to put someone on blast, or to go back to our old church and let them know how much we've been learning. You know, you go sit down in the Bible study class, you know how you do. You know, and, 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 the, and, and the Sunday school teacher's teaching, and you, you know, you raise your hand, you kind of, you've been screwing up your face the whole time because you really don't like what they were saying. And you know, um, I just want to say something, you know, um, I, I, you know, I'm looking in the text, you know, and, um, you know, and you just begin lighting the teacher up, you know, but that was the only motivation for getting the information, but it, 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 it got here, but it didn't get here. When you let information from God get here and it doesn't get here, it creates religiosity. 
It creates a false identity. It creates a false sense of who you are, and you begin to base your Christian life not on Jesus, but on what you know about Jesus. There's a difference. In other words, you base your Christian life on what Jesus has done, not what you're going to do. Now, works are important, but they should flow out of the Lord Jesus Christ. So religiosity is like a fog for some of us, and so we got to work on that. But then a false A counterfeit repentance is also when we are self-focused versus God-focused. Now, this this, this may sound like religiosity and spirituality, but it's a little different. Look in the text. Look at verse 2. I, my, me, I, my. Verse 3. Me, 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 for I, I. I, I, me, my, me, my, six, I, me, my, 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 I, my, eight, I, I, I. 27 times in these verses, Jonah uses the first person pronoun, but only 15 times does he use anything to prescribe anything to God? In other words, his prayer looked good informationally, but he was really more concerned about himself than he was God. And so what happens in repent, false repentance is there's a subtle way in which we will focus on ourselves and sprinkle God in, but we're really more worried about ourselves than we're really worried about God getting to ourselves. And so Jonah displays, even in this prayer that should have been his first time talking to God, as a prayer of repentance, of repentance, of turning, changing his mind, And changing his direction. Repentance doesn't just mean changing direction. And I'll talk about that at the end. Because a lot of people have said it's doing a 180. But if a 180 doesn't happen here and here, then it won't practically happen here. You'll just transfer sins and I'll talk about that. So religiosity and spirituality, I'm going to be short today. Self-focused versus God-focused. So we see that he's self-focused versus God-focused. Then we see what he spends most of his prayer on. And this is what many of us can be guilty of. Circumstantially focused versus eternally focused. Now, now, he's focused in here on his circumstance. Look at verse 2, the latter part. He says, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. He says, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Really, this can be translated, how shall I look upon your holy temple? Or how shall I again look on your holy temple? That yet can be translated how. I believe that's, this is more of a question than an affirmation. I'll explain it in a second. He says, he says the, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. In other words, he's describing the place within his circumstances of where he is without a passion to see God change him in the midst of those circumstances. When he talks about the belly being in the belly of Sheol, he's basically saying the belly of this fish is about to be my grave. 
He said, I'm about to die. And so he's focusing on himself. He says, I'm in the belly of the fish. He says, in the deepest covered around me. I guess he felt the fish going deep. I can't imagine what it was like for him inside that fish. I don't know if it was stomach acid. You know what I'm saying? Eating them up. I don't know if it was seaweed, other fish that got swallowed. I don't know if the water was, I don't know what it was like. I can only tell you that God, even in his grace, had to sustain him while he was yet in the belly of the whale. So God is even showing him an act of grace for him to even think while he's still in the belly of the whale and he has the nerve to still not repent. When he says, when he says, I'm in the heart of the sea, he says, the flood surrounds me. This means literally I was drowning. Let me tell you how powerful this passage is. Literally, Jonah was swallowing water in the belly of the whale. And God, he was filling his life, leaving him. And Jonah was actually physically drowning in the belly of the whale. And still as he was, he got swallowed, thrown into the sea, and feel himself drowning in the belly of the whale. God sovereignly keeps this dude cool, yet while he's in the belly of the whale, and he still is not repenting. And so we see deep in this is idea of how we can be circumstantially driven instead of God-driven. We got to be very, we got to be very careful. You know, we talked about this idea of bitterness. One of the things that God has been working through me on and, and teaching me on is how I contemplate. How I contemplate. How do I use my mind in difficult circumstance? Do I amplify the difficult circumstance by zooming in on the challenges I deal with and to create in myself greater frustration, greater angerness, greater bitterness, and greater distance from God? Because when you focus on circumstance, circumstance can't change you. And there's something in our depraved nature that gets enjoyment out of focusing in on how bad things are. Matter of fact, when we talk to others, they hear us say little about what God is doing, and we hear more about what's going on in general. And so God wants us to be careful because he wants us, especially when, there, when there's unconfessed sin in our life that he's trying to snuff us out of, to zoom in on him and utilize his gospel. He said, the flood surrounded me. He said, I am driven away from your sight. Verse 3, he says, for you've cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I am driven away from your sight. How shall I again see your holy temple? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. He says, at the roots of the mountains. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That means that he's gone past the point of return and he's going to fully die. He says, oh Lord, my God. He says, he says, when my life was fainting, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's talking about another opportunity where he was seeking the Lord. And so we see deeply in this passage how Jonah has focused in on his circumstance and didn't allow his circumstance to point him to the living God. That's a very depressed place for us to be. And so we're asking the Lord by his grace to give us the grace to not zoom in on our circumstance, 
But find a way in the midst of that circumstance to say, God, not, not why is this happening to me, Lord? God, but what are you trying to work in me in the midst of this thing? Because it's easy to say why and get angry and stay there, but never like, like God, God, I got to get to the point. All right, what are you trying to work in your boy? And so we're asking God in the midst of all that God allows us to go through to not focus on our circumstance, but focus on him. Thomas Watson in, in, in his book talks about counterfeit repentance. And he says something interesting. He says counterfeit repentance. He says, he says, another deceit about repentance is a resolution against sin. This is crazy. It's promises and vows. Now check out what he says about this. This is rich and subtle. You got to really listen to this. He says, a person may purpose, propose, and make vows, yet no repentance. He says, we see by experience what protestations a person will make when he is on his sickbed, if God should recover him again, yet he is as bad as ever. In other words, going on your sickbed makes you say stuff that you wouldn't normally say. But it's really the circumstances that's making you say it, not really a heart that really wants to change that's making you say it. And he says, he shows the old heart in new temptation. In other words... See, this is what repentance is. See, somebody could say, okay, I stopped doing that. And most of us look at repentance as, I stopped doing that. That's not repentance. Repentance, the word for repentance means to change your mind. That means to be comprehensively transformed in light of the holiness of God and the thing that brought a gap between you and your relationship with God, and it now repels you now. But see, the person that's only frustrated with their circumstance and is only hurt by their circumstance, they repent out of pain, but it's not really repentance. I wish y'all would hear me this morning. It's really get me out of the circumstance, but don't get me in your presence. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me this morning. And see, 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 false repentance said, oh, God, I, I, then, then, you, then you know you're, you're false repenting when you start promising stuff. Because that means you're trying to pay for repentance. God, I promise you I'm going to walk right this time. God, I promise I'm going to give more in the offering. God, I promise I'm, I'm going to promise. I promise I'm going to do everything you want me to do. God, I promise I'll serve you. I promise I'll walk with you. And all of that kind of carrying on. And then when the storm clears, you put on your new sneaks, you put on your outfit, and you brush your shoulders, and you're in another sin. But, but you fool yourself because you're saying, I don't do that anymore. But really... Your passions are the same, and you just took a transfer from one bus to another. <laughs> and see, true repentance in our lives, family, doesn't transfer buses. It transfers our life from death to life through the gospel. When you've experienced gospel transformation, you not only hate that thing that you did, but you hate everything else that you have access to. That's repentance. Repentance is, I got, because we like that. I don't kiss my girlfriend. I don't slap her down. I don't get it in with her no more. I don't do this. I be, no, that's, you're pointing to that one thing. But, but, but when Jesus came on the scene, he says, repent, believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What Jesus was saying is, turn from your way of thinking, 
your way of doing things, your passion, and your direction, and turn towards me. My yoke is easy. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Take my yoke upon me and you and learn of me. And so what Jesus wants us to do is when we repent, we have to replace it with something else. And what's good about God is God, listen family, never tells you to give anything up without replacing it with something. God is not this angry dude that's waiting to zap people all the time. He's just waiting to, I can't wait, oh, I'm going to starve. I just can't wait till they just starve and not have nothing and just be. No, that's not the God. That's not God. God always replaces something so that we can idolize him, not anything else. He always replaces it with something that's centered on Jesus, not something that's centered on us. But when you have false repentance, when God wants to replace what was there with Jesus, you don't like that. Because it's not something that you would have preferably had him placed there. That means you didn't repent. That means that repentance didn't happen. And, 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 so, and so in this path, and then, he, then let, me, let me read the rest of, of, of what he says. he says. He says, what causes this? He says, from present extremity, he says, not because <coughs> sin is sinful, but because it is painful. This resolution will vanish. He says, from fear of evil and apprehension of death and hell, self-love raises a sickbed vow and love of sin will prevail against it. <laughs> he said, trust not to a passionate resolution. It is raised in a storm and it will die when it gets calm. It's so important for us to get this. This is a key to our Christian life. And many of us in our lives, we aren't growing because we are transferring sin for sin. And Jonah, the whole time in this prayer, never confessed one sin. Never confessed one sin. Not one time. Didn't say he was wrong. He acted like, like just pick up with him and God left off, like everything's cool. But God has ways of getting around it. Keep reading it. Keep reading it. <laughs> what he does is interesting. He points to others versus pointing to himself. Look at the verse. Now, now, Doc, you under, look, now God is busting your behind. You done got swallowed. Storms, special storms from heaven. God is anointing fishes. You know what I'm saying? Anointing and appointing fishes. He's appointing storms. You know what I'm saying? And you just praying, hey, what's up, God? How you feeling? Yo, man, wow. I'm in the belly of this fish. I didn't know if you knew that. But um, you know what I'm saying? I'm just down here and I'm just worshiping your holy name. You the bomb God. God, I mean, it's surrounding me. I'm in, I mean, I, I, I can't believe what I'm in right now. No confession. No response. But look what he does instead. He confesses other people's sins. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What, where did that come from? Where did, where did that come? Hold on, hold on, hold on now. You got, them, you got the people on the boat repenting. You the one. You the one are paying attention to vain idols. <clears throat> and when we talk about true repentance, 
we talk about true repentance, we're going to talk about what this looks like. But I want us to zoom in today on this false repentance. Because sometimes you talk about true repentance and people still miss it because they still take the definition of true repentance, try to apply it, but really apply it religiously, not spiritually. So he starts talking about other people worshiping idols, not dealing with his own issues in his own heart. See, true repentance doesn't focus on others. I've been guilty of it. It was the woman you gave me, Lord. God, well, if my wife didn't, if the flock didn't, if my, if my daddy wouldn't have ran, ran the house like he ran it, see, daddy shouldn't have done that. See, if daddy didn't run the house like that, then I wouldn't be in this position. So you really can't hold me responsible for my sin. I, I mean, but you know how my mom is, God. My mom be tripping. My mom be tripping. You know how my neighborhood was when I was growing up. You know how I was about finances when we was growing up. You know the reason why I overspend, the reason why I do what I do is because in my house we hoarded money and, we, and I didn't get a chance to spend, so I'm taking this opportunity. This all type, but, but shifting the blame. It's very important in the gospel. It's the gospel. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's death for the person. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever, the whosoever isn't whosoever out there, it's right here. And so it's very important that you don't, this is, and this, makes it, this is what makes it harder. When you become so skilled, and all of us have, in not repenting, <clears throat> What happens is, is that the unrepentance compounds itself and it becomes such a part of us we don't realize we do it anymore. Wow. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me explain something. So, so say, say, I, say me and my wife having issues with each other, right? <clears throat> and I go to God and I say, um, and, and I say to God, you know, I, I need you to deal with my wife, but never talk about my sin. And then she comes to me and she just apologizes. Then I say, okay, I'm glad you apologize. Then we move on. Then I go to work. And me and a person mutually sin against each other. They, they confess and repent to me, but I don't confess and repent to them. And then I move on to the next person. And what happens is, is when you develop a pattern of unrepentance, you, believe, you begin to develop a heart of self-righteousness. And, 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 you, and you begin to develop. And see, the gospel comes to crack all that mess up. But you won't use the gospel because you've got so much that you've layered in your life that you won't allow Jesus' cross to sledgehammer that stuff away. And so Jonah is just throwing, he's just putting up flares around himself. Uh, this, these are some things that you can't come to, God. I just want to let you know. But the, but the sinners, they, are, they worship idols. But see, I'm praying to you. I actually worship God. Remember the Pharisee who said, I'm not like that sinner. I give mint, I give tithes, I do this, I do that. I deserve to be in your presence. And the sinner wasn't even willing to look up to heaven. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Fam, it's easy to point the finger at others. Every one of us have to look at ourselves. And if you don't begin to learn how to do it, some of y'all not paying attention now. Some of y'all ain't feeling, because y'all still saying, I don't do that. 
And the fact that you haven't even searched your own heart to see whether or not you do that shows you that you do that. See, the person that's a nitpicky, godly person, when you love Jesus, you're nitpicky. Even when it doesn't seem like something applies to you, you ask the Holy Spirit questions. You ask him questions like, God, is that me? Show me. And, you, and, you, and you, you, ain't even, you ain't even know if you did it or not. And tears begin to come out your eyes because you think you might have did it. And you think that anything would have brought you distance from your God. And you beg him for his presence. You beg him for his presence. Some of you haven't begged him for his presence yet. Because you're so righteous. You know so much. You're not afraid of him anymore. He, he, he's, he's chill to you. But when you're really staring in the place of the gospel of Christ's work, I couldn't stand it when we sang that first song. Because I was looking at me. I was looking at me. I said, God, I need you to do a work in me. I got places and crevices in my life that I need you to help me with. And I need you to work on me. I don't know if it's you. Maybe I'm alone. But I need him. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a spiritual punk. I don't want to lie. I don't want to blame it on anybody. I want to blame myself. What have I done, God? What have I done, God? Not anybody else. What have I done? We need to be all that's about beating ourselves up. That's not the gospel. That's self-focus. I'm not talking about beating ourselves up. But I'm talking about asking our honest questions about our hearts. Asking them about. God, of my prayers really, am I really, is, is heaven open for me right now? Even though I feel the peace of God, is heaven really open or is that just epinephrine and, and some type of chemicals? <clears throat> but has my heart been changed by the gospel? But what's so powerful about this passage is that God doesn't let us get away with running from him. <clears throat> Look at what he does. Then I'm going to sit down. Verse 10. It says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's powerful. Know why? <coughs> Because even if you repent or if you don't repent, God does something powerful. <laughs> he doesn't let you get away with returning you to a place where you needed to be obedient. You thought because you repented or you confessed it, okay, I'm over that. But God says, whoop, whoop, no skipping grades. Let's go back to where I told you to be. Uh, as if you really repented, I can take you back. And you can deal with the thing that you've been running away from me about. Sinclair Ferguson said something great about this part of Jonah. He says, restoration to fellowship with God must begin 
in the very areas where rebellion first began. Where did rebellion first begin in your life? I'm not talking about, but don't give me that stuff. Like this is this is punk confessions. I remember when I wasn't a Christian and I used to. Everybody, see, that's false and fake and phony when you can only talk about sin that you did before you was a Christian because you know we bring up, oh, well, Christ died for it. But that's a, a lack of understanding of the fact that even the sin that you do after you became a Christian, Christ died for it. But because you've paid for your own sin for so long, you don't know how to let Christ die for your sins. You don't know how to do it. And so I pray today that we would repent. That when other people's sins are noticeable, it makes us look at us. At us. Not them, not where they are, not how bad off they are, not what they lose, but us. And I guarantee you that you'll experience spiritual renewal like you never have before. I guarantee you will experience a great awakening in God that you've never experienced before because of Christ, not because of some revival movement. I went to revival and the preacher really preached. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about a work of God where your spirituality looked like it was clogged and God poured spiritual draino into it to unclog it. So I pray that as we look at counterfeit repentance, next time we're going to look at true repentance. And we're going to see some signs of true repentance. And we're going to walk through them. And we're going to deal with them in our own lives. Father. <clears throat> um, we want to turn from a false religiosity to true spirituality. God focused instead of self-focused. Pointing the finger at others rather than pointing the finger at ourselves. <clears throat> Father, will you help us to learn the grace of allowing the work of the gospel, <clears throat> the person of Jesus Christ, to be the standard not other people's sins, God, but our sins to be dealt with. I'm not saying we don't, we don't walk with one another when we challenge. I'm not saying we don't challenge one another, God. That's, that's not what we're saying. But, God, we are saying, Lord, we need your grace to repent of our sin. Have our lives changed. And see you more clearly so we can see ourselves clearly so you, we can see you more clearly. Maybe you're here today and you've never dealt with your sin because you've never allowed Jesus Christ to deal with it. Maybe you've been trying to deal with your sin. <clears throat> and you may be here and you need to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. <clears throat>